Hello there, friends, and welcome back to the New Blocks, the cryptocurrency podcast here on Zyori TV. Andrew and Kevin back again reporting for another rousing edition of Deep Blockchain Cryptocurrency Conversation. Today, we're talking about Ethereum, the other big one, the little buddy right there next to Bitcoin that's doing all sorts of interesting stuff around the world. Kevin, welcome back, buddy. How are you? You ready to talk about what your up, little man? buddy today? Oh, Ethereum is my favorite. Uh, I've been waiting for this episode for a little while. Um, I, I'm sporting my Ethereum shirt again. Uh, nice. I try to keep my shirts relevant. I try to keep them, <laughs> you know. Fashion uh, game on point? Yeah, I work at a clothing company and, uh, you know, wear a bunch of Ethereum and crypto shirts that <laughs> are good. unrelated. That's good. Um, yeah, man, I'm excited. Uh, this is going to be sort of the next step down the rabbit hole. Um so looking yeah. forward to it. We've laid down the foundation. This is episode five. So if somehow this is the first one you're watching, I definitely recommend going back, catching some of the earlier ones, then revisiting uh, episode five here, because this assumes that you've already digested a little bit of that foundational groundwork that we laid down to try to understand some of this new cutting edge and complicated technology. But in terms of Ethereum, this one is really exciting because it, it's almost like um, evolution number two in my mind. Like Bitcoin was the first one. It was novel. It was innovative. Uh, but because it was the first one, it has some limitations, right? It kind of is what it is and it exists in that pure form, which is sort of its greatest strength and greatest weakness in some ways. Ethereum, a lot more dynamic. And it, it's almost like a platform that has uh, allowed developers to build this whole network of decentralized apps on top of it, which is fundamentally really, really cool. Yeah, exactly. It's the difference between uh, the calculator and the computer. So uh, whereas Bitcoin, uh, you have the ability to send and receive money, you, you know, you can t tally balances, you can get like basic information from the, the underlying blockchain, but there isn't a ton that it can actually do. All, all it can really do is be its own money. Mm -hmm. Whereas Ethereum is a completely different design. Uh, Ethereum is uh, essentially uh, a, a virtual computer. So in, in computer science term uh, terms, it's called a Turing complete virtual computer. And that just means that it is a cloud-based uh, computer or, or an internet-based computer. Um, it is a single symbolic computer that exists and runs on uh, tens of thousands of physical physical computers. And so every individual physical computer that's running it, they're all running the exact same code as if they were all the exact same computer. Interesting. And that should be a little more relatable now in our modern age, this idea of virtual machines, cloud computing. I'm on a computer that's giving me access to another computer that doesn't physically exist the same way um, you know, the PCs that we're sitting at right now do. Um, but maybe we need to go back to the starting point. What, what's the beginning yeah. for Ethereum? Because it did come along uh, after Bitcoin was created, right? There was a little bit of a lag period there. They, Ethereum was not an early mover the same way Bitcoin was. Yeah, exactly. So Satoshi Nakamoto released Bitcoin. Uh, the, the network started in 2009. Um, and, and about two years later, uh, a software engineer named Vitalik Buterin released his own white paper uh, talking about uh, what he called a smart contract and decentralized application platform. And what that means, uh, he sort of outlined this idea of, of a an alternative blockchain um, that is a lot more flexible, allows you to do a lot more with it. So uh, he introduced this white paper and, you know, 
there was some other projects going on in, in crypto at the time, but you know, not a lot of um, of projects that were as as ambitious as that. There was a lot of other copycats of Bitcoin, where it was you know Litecoin and uh, Bitcoin Cash, like the the different variations of Bitcoin, all of these different individual monies. Mm-hmm. But this was the first time that there was actually like a, a level up. Uh, from what had been going on before. Yeah, it's like the next round of innovation. In some ways, the way you're describing that, to me, I hear they valvified it. They went, wow, you guys made some pretty cool hats. That's pretty neat. Now, what if we made a platform where people could upload their hats? We get a little cut of everything they upload, but then they get to profit. Then that creates this whole new marketplace that's born based on the platform, the sandbox that we've put out there to let the users run wild with. Yeah, exactly. And and the difference here is that um, Ethereum has uh, what's called the Ethereum Foundation. It's sort of the, the uh, nonprofit org that exists to sort of make decisions and uh, write the core code for Ethereum and, and make improvements to it. But they don't own it the way that, you know, Valve owns Steam. Um, right. there, there isn't a single owner similar to with Bitcoin. Uh, there's no sort of like uh, Satoshi doesn't have more right than anyone else to say what Bitcoin should do next. Mm-hmm. Um, anytime that the Ethereum Foundation proposes changes, you know, the entire network gets to decide if they want to actually use that change or, you know, use the existing code, which is what happened when Ethereum Classic forked off of Ethereum. Mm-hmm. So. So what's the biggest benefit to this new sandbox we've got here? We've got this foundation. So what are we able to build on top of this foundation? Like, what, what kind of apps are we talking about here? Yeah. So in our last uh, or a couple episodes ago, when we were talking about the blockchain, um, one thing that the blockchain is, if you think about it in sort of a conceptual uh, uh, space, it's a, a trust machine. So you, you put decentralization into it and trust comes out of it. Um, and so Ethereum is a, uh, a more generalizable trust machine. So it's not just that you can trust the money. Um, you can write these applications. You can do anything that you would on an, a regular computer. Um, and so the, the way that works is um, any you know website you've ever been on runs JavaScript in the background. Uh, there's a flavor of JavaScript that um, you can write for Ethereum. And so that code will run um, on the entire network. And so when, when we refer to this, the, the computer, the like virtual computer mm-hmm. uh, in Ethereum, it's called the Ethereum virtual machine. Mm-hmm. And so it's this computer that we can write applications for. Okay. So does this sort of pu- function as like a, a public database of sorts? Is that, is that a fair analogy? Yes. Yeah, so it's a, it's a public database uh, with a computer surrounding it whereas like bitcoin had a had a ledger had a database in a sense that like you had all the values of who owned what but now it's a database that is connected to uh, a more um, flexible programming language so um, right off the bat uh, people now have the ability to do you know anything that they want uh, on this new blockchain so um the next logical step for people was to create their own cryptocurrencies on top of Ethereum. So um, there's there's a standard um, where essentially you um, you can create any you know variation of a of a coin that you would want on on Ethereum, um, and I think that sort of was like the first use case that people really thought of. It was like, okay, we understand cryptocurrencies. Like 
let's go make more cryptocurrencies on top of this new virtual machine. Right. So this virtual machine basically gave us the framework to say, hey, here is a, a, a base kind of default version of what a cryptocurrency coin could look like, a token, if you will. Then that gave us sort of the more regular users without really deep computer science knowledge of how to create a sandbox like this, the ability to make Kevin coin or like Dogecoin, for example, these uh, altcoins that aren't their own cryptocurrency the same way Bitcoin is. They exist within the Ethereum framework, but they are their own standalone coin yep. within that with their own, system. Yeah. With their own, you know, supply caps, their own rules around the way they work. Um, and so, so like, there's a, it's like a degree of standardization, I, I guess, in some ways. Yeah. And so in it, a good essentially, way. Yeah. And, and like the, the thing to understand about uh, Ethereum as a network, um, it differs from Bitcoin in that uh, Bitcoin is both the name of the, the network, the blockchain, um, and the asset, the actual money. Right. Uh, in Ethereum, you have uh, Ethereum, the network, um, and Ether gas, um, which is like the, the thing that uh, uh, Ether uh, or ETH is the money that exists uh, on top of Ethereum. Um, and this idea of um, Ether as gas is the way that you pay uh, to run a program on the Ethereum virtual machine is um, you send some money, some Ether to the miners uh, to have them you know, do the work of running your code on their machine. So if, if I want to send okay. you money, I have to send a small amount of Ether um, to miners to have them actually you know, run my transaction or any other function you would do. If I want to create a new uh, currency, I need to push some code to Ethereum. I'm going to pay a little bit of, of gas in Ether. Okay, so that, that part is similar to Bitcoin then, where anytime you want to do a transaction on the network, you have to pay some additional transaction fee, as we've been calling it, for the miners to verify that and push it into the ledger and guarantee that, hey, this is a legit transaction, the money actually moved from here to here, whatever. But I guess in the case of Ethereum, we have even more flexibility. Going back to this public database type idea, it's so much more than just transactions of my wallet to your wallet. It can be data points for games or applications or like anything that you'd run in this network where you're moving data in and out of the blockchain, which in this case functions as just a public database. Is that, is that correct? Yes, that's, that's correct. Um, and so, uh, the, the specific way that these applications run, um, the, the code that lives on Ethereum, uh, is in what, what are called smart contracts. So you'll hear this term a lot in the crypto mm -hmm. space. Um, a smart contract is just uh, literally any sort of script that... Um, it's just code. It's just computer It's just code. code. Yep, yeah. exactly. And the difference here is that, um, you know, on a tip, when I'm writing code for a typical application, um, I have the ability to, you know, create text, numbers, um, like, you know, basic data types. Uh, with Ethereum, it, it kind of gives, it being on a, on a trust machine, on a blockchain, gives that code the ability to essentially like accrue value um, or be scarce, uh, like digital asset scarcity um, is this idea that um, 
Bitcoin introduced. It's that it's the first time we've ever had anything that's purely digital and scarce. Um, mm. And so mm -hmm. similarly, Ethereum allows you to create digital asset scarcity in whatever context that is, whether it's a cryptocurrency or, you know, an in-game item where there's only, you know, five of them. Right. Uh, or something yeah. like that. It's sort of the, the layman's term that I put on it was the intangible tangible. This idea of a digital thing that exists as a unique data point in virtual space. This is still a really deep concept that uh, I'm sure a lot of you out there are struggling to wrap your brains around, and that's okay. It's very, it's very new. It's very meta. It's hard to conceptualize, but this idea of there's a hundred Zyori coin tokens, and if I give one to you, we can verify that 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 is the same one that's moving around in the supply. It's not being duplicated. It's not being um, you know multiplied. It's it's the same digital version of I have this cup. I'm handing you the cup. Once I don't have it anymore, it's out of my possession. It's one thing that's moving from person to person. Um, yeah, and in a gaming sense, um, I mean, games prior to the blockchain, uh, they, they would sort of have their own uh, economies and things. You think of something like World of Warcraft, like mm -hmm. gold in WoW did actually accrue real world value. Mm -hmm. um, but it's interesting because, you know, most other games, that's not really the case. The, like the, the WoW developers could theoretically just print themselves like trillions of dollars worth of WoW gold, right? And just like sell mm -hmm. it on the marketplace. Uh, and so like... The difference between something like WoW uh, and one of these like new in-game currencies that you could create in Ethereum is that you know once the code goes out to to create this new currency, mm -hmm. that's it. Like no, there's you you have the rules that say you either can print new money or you can't, and then um, uh. like e everything from that point on is it is what it is. So okay, so um, that's the beauty of the decentralized part. In the case of WoW, the, the end result functions similarly, but the difference is it's completely centralized and owned by Blizzard, who own World of Warcraft. They hold all the cards, and they get to make all the decisions. In this case, once the smart contract's out there, it's the Satoshi Nakamoto analogy again. The, the person that wrote the smart contract has no more claim than anyone else. It's whatever is in the code is now the rule of law, essentially, within that system. Yeah, exactly. Um, and there is like a caveat here, you know, if the rule of the code that is in there, it says that like this particular address, this person has the ability to like print more, mm -hmm. then, you know, that's the same. But if if you sort of like remove that person from the equation, or like, you know, it's uh, the the person that it's like, originally, this this code is written for, can prove that they like burned that account and they've lost the ability to do that again, then it's, you know, totally out there in the open. And, and right. Can do I guess the only difference in the case of the smart contract is that the code is publicly viewable, right? So if yeah, you're exactly. committing to a transaction on a smart contract, in theory, you could look at it, digest it and go, okay, cool. There's no loopholes here where one person gets to just pull from the supply or something like that. Obviously, it's not that easy in practice. You have to be able to read the code and understand what the code means. But in theory, it's all publicly out there so that if we all could understand it, we could make really informed decisions compared to our centralized world that revolves around marketing a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so if you've, you know, maybe heard about Ethereum from, um, you know, a few years ago. Crypto uh, kitties. Hey, the graphics card market is trashed. <laughs> Everything. Uh, <laughs> like, you likely 
uh, heard of like all of these projects that were coming out in 2017 mm-hmm. um, and they were releasing their own cryptocurrency and using that as a fundraising mechanism. So the, mm-hmm. the term was um, ICO or initial coin offering. So a project would say, hey, you know, here's a uh, hundred thousand dollars, a hundred thousand new coins. Um, if you want to buy them, you can, but like you'll get a stake and a share in the, the project that I'm working on. That's going to decentralize uh, web browsers, yeah. web browsers or uh, Dentacoin was, you know, somehow it's going to revolutionize dentists or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it was this it was uh, this big boom of all of these projects. Um, just uh, hundreds of them um, yeah. were out there and everyone was tr- tr- like claiming to, you know, r- decentralize the world. Um, and, you know, as with the dot com bubble, as with uh, these other sort of like technological uh, growth periods, uh, there was this huge spike. Uh, all of the, the price of Ether, the price of a bunch of these currencies were shooting up. People were jumping in um, and then it just crashed uh, because, you know, you can o- you can only sell a dream for so long uh, before yeah. reality kind of hits. Yeah. Uh, and as soon as it, it turned downward, it just crashed right down. Um, it was uh, beginning of 2018. Uh, it was kind of falling apart. Yeah. And of course, the, the term ICO, it's a play on a term from the traditional financial markets, IPO, initial public offering. When a company goes public, opens up shares to regular consumers to buy in on a stock exchange, the stock, a company going onto the stock market, that's called doing an IPO. So an ICO is the supposed to be the crypto decentralized version of that, where we're launching this project or quote company in air quotes by selling these tokens that crowdfund the whole thing. Um, it was an interesting time to be part of crypto because it, it was a really good example of how innovation is sometimes a little bit messy. We have these breakthroughs in technology. We don't quite understand the, the full limits of it, how to calibrate it exactly. It opens up this uh, situation where bad actors come in, people that are you know creating these very um, very appealing scams that look very legitimate but really have no intention of ever building the thing that they claim they're raising money for. Um, there were some good ones. There were some ICOs that raised a lot of money and have built some apps that are still in development. And, you know, there are decentralized web browsers that you could install right now to watch this podcast on if you wanted to. Um, But there were unfortunately also a lot of ICO scams and the number moves around a lot, but I think a lot of the ICOs ended up uh, going bust for lack of a better term and never really uh, produced anything close to the final vision that they uh, were talking about. I mean, we saw a ton of them in esports, Kevin, uh, a staggering amount of tokens that were somehow going to revolutionize the system. It's a streaming platform, a tournament hosting platform, and fan engagement all combined in one. It never really made any sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, that was the case. I, you give people the ability to print free money and you know, you're going to attract all, all ends of the spectrum. So yeah. there was everything there. Um, a very, like you said, very few uh, projects really survived from that. Uh, you can think of it similar to the dot-com bubble when... Yeah, um, actually. That's really when, a good parallel. When there was like 15 different search engines, you know, <laughs> at the time... You remember like, Dogpile? <laughs> <laughs> yep. I remember Alta Vista. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, some of them still exist today and like tried to do other stuff like Yahoo with news and, and, and other side projects. But like, they're, yeah, they're um, still going, they're still hemorrhaging still money, chugging. but yeah. uh, there's no end in sight. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it, at the end of the ICO boom, uh, it was like January of 2018, uh, price of Ether shot up to like $1,100 or something. And it, it had been, you know, 
less than a hundred for a long time. Um, and so after that point, um, investors kind of left the people, a lot of people kind of weren't really interested anymore. A lot of people buying in at the top, not being able to sell in time. I mean, when, when a market crashes like that, it happens in like a a couple days, like it's, Mm -hmm. it's, uh, even less. Um, well, we saw it with GameStop, how quickly the pump and dump uh, cycle completes, right? Up to the moon, yeah. and then before long, the moon is nowhere in sight. And a lot of these ICOs followed a very similar trajectory. When the hype is building, the price is building, and it creates this feedback loop where the, the hype becomes overwhelming. But inevitably, if you can't live up to the hype, you're setting yourself up for a, a pretty substantial crash at some point. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so like the, the plus side is that it did actually attract a decent amount of, of capital to some serious projects that uh, continued working. And in general, it kind of like brought a lot of attention to the space. That was around the time when I got involved, when I started learning about a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the people that were a little more serious about it um, that had already been in the space for a while and, and um, were, were building projects, they spent the last three or so years uh, continuing to build um, you know, actually meaningful and interesting projects. Um, and so th- the, the cliffhanger I'm going to leave this episode on is that um, since, you know, the end of, or sorry, the beginning of 2018, um, there has been this sort of like ecosystem that has evolved out of Ethereum. Um, and it's referred to now as DeFi, stands for decentralized finance, um, which is a very generalized term. But um it's essentially this alternative financial system that exists now um, and it's built entirely on ethereum and it's built um i shouldn't say entirely there are other uh projects that are doing this um but what's interesting right now seems to still exist sort of on ethereum uh (laughs) at least to me uh like some of the old you know 2018 coins like tron uh and like EOS, EOS, whatever. EOS, yeah, um, they still exist and there's still stuff happening there, but like yeah. it's it's like anything else, right? As soon as Facebook started getting popular, network effect, uh, it brings everyone in and it becomes the sort of like de facto New York square. But the laggards get a hold has of it. To be. Yeah. 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 So I think now's probably a good time to get into the lightning round. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, one thing I want to throw out about DeFi, uh, teasing for future episodes. I This is a really new thing in crypto. And one of the cool things about DeFi, it's taking the tools we have in the fiat traditional banking system that we're used to, like credit, uh, loaning, interest, all these kind of things, and trying to adapt them into the cryptocurrency ecosystem uh, in a way that they have meaningful value for all of the users. So uh, yep. a really cool concept, but one uh, that merits its own episode. So not going to go too deep here. But yeah, buddy, let's do uh, some lightning round questions. Questions. Is Ethereum the one that is screwing up my graphics cards prices? As a gamer, I have so many people in my network upset that they can't get the new GPUs. Uh, and I hear about, about mining. We talked about how Sorry, Bitcoin my logo on my shirt. has these ASICs, you know, these special processors. <laughs> yeah. It's got to be this one, right? Are these the guys it's, screwing up my gaming? It's this It's this one. Uh, <laughs> the, the difference in uh, when, when Ethereum, uh, the white paper, Came out. Uh, one of the differences that uh, Vitalik and sort of the the Ethereum community decided is that um, Bitcoin went this route of of hardware that became very specialized to mining Bitcoin. So these like they're called ASIC miners. So it's these like very uh, specific devices that you need to buy to mine Bitcoin. On Ethereum, um, 
they wanted to retain this idea of being more decentralized, like valuing the ability for random people, you and I, if we wanted to, to be able to go to the store, get a graphics card and like actually mine mm -hmm. Ethereum. Um, and so, you know, now years later, uh, as, as the, you know, adoption has continued, yeah. the graphics card market has just been totally, um, taken over by by ethereum miners. you hate to see it because um, it started out as like hey now the common man can be a part of this thing just use your gpu and i mean i've done some gpu mining on our extra production computers uh back in the day when they were just sitting there dormant and that is really cool but yeah when it really catches on it has this sort of counterintuitive aspect of crap now the demand for graphics cards is way too high i guess good if you're a nvidia stockholder but uh, yeah, outside of that actually, it's brutal yeah. I just saw a headline recently. I didn't read much into it yet. Did, wasn't Nvidia now starting to like uh, you make some of their uh, maybe older graphics cards uh, resistant to mining or something like that? They they might be. I I would totally believe it. I've I've read a fair amount that these big graphics cards companies don't really like what's happening in terms of their hardware being so useful for mining because it's not in line with their core audience and ultimately it's their core customers that are suffering and irritated because of this. So it's a yeah. tricky thing for them to navigate because that you're still pretty happy that your product's moving off the shelves, right? But now you got to find yeah. a way to make sure you get the product into the hands. Like how do you give priority to the people that are going to use your product the way it was intended? Uh, I think yeah. that's a tricky system to figure out. Yeah. I, so luckily, uh, there's a silver lining. Uh, the mining, uh, proof of work mining on Ethereum, it has a shelf life at this point. Um, hmm. uh, Ethereum 2.0 is this multi-phased process toward uh, a set of improvements to Ethereum. And one of those is to switch the underlying consensus mechanism, the, the, the way that the blockchain uh, creates, generates consensus, to uh, from a system called proof of work uh, burn electricity, you have miners, to mm -hmm. a system called proof of stake. Uh, and so proof of stake doesn't need to burn electricity to generate consensus. It, uh, we'll probably do a full episode on sort of the difference there, but essentially no more need to, to light the planet on fire, mm -hmm. make uh, gamers angry, um, and, and we can kind of like similarly just continue to innovate, uh, mm -hmm. make, make things better. Gotcha. Very good. Yep. So um, there's this concept of gas I was talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. um, what happens if, you know, I'm trying to use Ethereum, I want to send you money. Um, and uh, what if I don't use enough gas? Or how do I how do I sort of like tell my my yeah. wallet to, to use what amount of gas? How does yeah. this work? This is a good one. Because uh, for Bitcoin, the transaction fees are a little more straightforward conceptually. You just have to pay, basically you're paying the network to manage your transaction fees. It's not that different on Ethereum, except there's another variable we have to deal with. Um, in the real world, you have a car, right? Your car gets a certain amount of gas mileage, and that's independent from the price of the gas that you purchase to put into your car. Right. So in Ethereum, we have these two things. There's gas where you can say, I want to pay X amount of gas for this transaction. And then I'm willing to pay up to this price for the gas that's used to fuel this transaction. So there's two variables you have to figure out. The price of the gas is generally handled for you. Pretty much any Ethereum wallet you have will give you a general guesstimate of what the market's at and then give you a recommendation that's slightly above the average to guarantee that you get 
a bid, so to speak, in the network. Um, if you end up not putting enough gas in your engine to get your transaction through, basically your transaction will fail and you lose your gas. So you have the benefit of partial data won't make it into the blockchain, but you will be penalized for that uh, by having to forfeit the gas that you've already put forward. So um, there are some protections there. If you bid on a, a very low value for the gas, let's say the going rate for gas is a dollar a gallon, and you say, I'm willing to pay 50 cents, your transaction is going to sit there similar to a limit order on the stock market until the gas prices reach 50 cents. So you might be waiting a day, a month, a year, or infinity if gas prices never go that low. So there are some protections there to make sure you're not getting partial data uploaded, but you got to be a little careful. That's one of the incentives they build into the network to make sure the data integrity is, is uh, where it needs to be. Yeah, I mean, it's great to prevent spam on the network. If every single thing that's happening requires capital money to do, then um, people aren't really, uh, you know, going to try to go <laughs> spam the network with transactions when they're yeah. just burning their money. Yeah, that's um, a, a big incentive against. Um, yeah, it's one thing that like it, right now um, with all of what's going on in DeFi and sort of like the, the new... Um, market cycle that we're in. Um, the price of ETH is going up. The price of all crypto is sort of going up. Um, there is a lot of demand for block space on the Ethereum network to get your transaction in to use the Ethereum network. So the price of gas right now is astronomically high. Mm -hmm. um, I'm talking like a uh, hundred bucks uh, to send a, to send money to someone or to like do something somewhat interesting on the Ethereum network. Mm -hmm. um, that might be a little high uh, of an example for sending money, but yeah, something like $20 is the most recent that it's, I saw, maybe yeah. more just to send money. Cost if you wanna, yeah, and if you wanna interact with any sort of like useful financial tool, we're talking about hundreds of dollars. So it really prices out the average user for using it right now. But uh, you know, similar to the proof of work to proof of stake, um, there are a lot, a lot of Ethereum scaling solutions that are on the horizon. This is a problem of, of bandwidth. You think mm -hmm. of like AOL days, um, you know, speed of the internet at that point was abysmal. Um, now, you know, you don't even think about down, like streaming 10 movies, whatever. <laughs> um, we're not there yet with a blockchain. Like it's going to take some time to mm -hmm. scale Ethereum. Uh, but there's a lot that's being okay. worked on there. So Ethereum's yeah. still on dial. It's like that dial up to DSL kind of analogy. Ethereum's still on dial-up, and DSL is coming. We just need a few more years to finish up the dev cycle and come up with a few new ideas. Yeah, and it's okay. like there are short, medium, and long-term solutions to the gas problem. Um, Short-term, there's an Ethereum improvement proposal. Uh, it's called EIP-1559 that totally changes the fee market uh, for gas. There is... Um, uh, this technology called rollups that sort of allows you to compress a bunch of a bunch of transactions into a single transaction. So that there's stuff that's sort of on the horizon. Um, I, my understanding is EIP five five nine should be in the next like month or so. At this point, don't uh, know exactly what the latest was, but um, yeah. So anyway, um, cool. Um, so we'll move around some of our lightning questions here for the the sake of time. Um, Kevin, I keep hearing this term DApp or DAP in relation to Ethereum. Um, what's what's this word all about and what is the actual pronunciation? Am I just transposing my iPhone lingo onto this thing or what's going on with these DApps? iOS, yeah. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so the the way I've heard it pronounced is DAP. Uh, it stands for decentralized application. Um, it's not a word I, I hear as often anymore, but it's just this general idea of an an Ethereum based uh, application or a blockchain based application that um, you can uh, you can write and and make it whatever do whatever you want. So um, right now that is almost primarily. Um, functionality relating to money. So like DeFi, uh, financial applications. Um, and, you know, maybe in the future, as as we do begin to scale blockchains um, like Ethereum, we will see a lot more interesting things um, as, as the cost of using it uh, becomes less and less prohibitive. So mm. for now, most apps are um, financial protocols, money, uh, money protocols. So, so. Th like before in a past episode, we teased that idea of what makes all this blockchain stuff interesting. We threw out that example of Uber. What if there were a rideshare app where it was just riders, drivers, and a smart contract in the middle? No Uber or Lyft to mix in their politics or put their hand in the pot or get caught into legal battles where they have to change the pricing structure up. Um, we're not there yet in terms of execution, but that would be a form of a DAP in the context of what we're talking about, right? Is that like a, a use yeah, case exactly. kind of thing? Yeah, Yeah, and I, I think there was one uh, decentralized alternative to Uber that was kind of floating around in like Austin for a while. I'm blanking on the name of it, but yeah, <laughs> ultimately like a lot of those sort of more lofty ideas, um, we're not totally there yet. When it costs this much money to use the network, um, yeah. it's it's you need really financially dense use cases right now um oh, if that okay. makes sense just yeah. like you know moving larger amounts of money it's got to have um, high but... margins to be able to pay for the gas for it to work right now these like small margin type operations are just impractical at the moment yep gotcha exactly. okay so yeah, I think that's a, a good one to leave it on. Okay, very good. Well, that is Ethereum, folks. Again, a big rabbit hole here. We appreciate you for staying with us so far, and there is so much more to come. I think in the next episode, we're going to talk custody a little bit, ownership of these actual coins, the tangible, intangible. Where do they go? Do you put them in your wallet? Does your computer have a wallet? I didn't know my computer had a pocket. We're going to talk <laughs> about that coming up on the next one. Folks, remember to find us on YouTube, on Spotify, on iTunes, most of the other places you'd find podcasts as well we should have some updated graphics coming in the next episodes but thank you so much for joining us so far for the new blocks it's been a pleasure and we'll be back again yep as usual none of this is financial advice yes you know you know the deal you know the deal <laughs> disclaimers though uh this is all in the name of education just trying yeah. to, get to, to get the good word of this innovative technology out there so have a good week yeah. and we'll see you next time